Amen. Praise the Lord. Stay standing with me. We're going to turn your Bibles to John chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. But before we do, the title of my message is called Preconceived Power. Preconceived Power, and we all have prejudices. We all have preconceived ideas. Well, I'm not prejudiced. We are. We judge books by the cover, don't we? We judge people by the way they dress, by the color of their skin, not to be derogatory to them or mean to them, but we have this mental idea of who they are before we ever even talk to them. We have a mental idea of how the restaurant is going to be by the decor when you walk in. If there's no people in there, therefore it must not be good. The food must must not be good. And so we have preconceived ideas and prejudices about things. And we've got preconceived ideas and prejudices about Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But we get these preconceived ideas through social media, through news, through our friends. They tell us what we're supposed to think, but what happens when our prejudices and our preconceived ideas are confronted with truth and power? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. John chapter 18, verse one, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put, on your, put your sword in your sheath, and shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for today's service and message. God, I ask that you would anoint my lips and my words. Father God, I ask right now that you would take complete control over our hearts, our minds, that we would be able to hear the gospel and receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. And as you're seated, turn to somebody and say, you look good. Hopefully, it was your spouse that you were talking to. Because if it wasn't, you got some explaining to do. So I want to set the scene about this, the scripture that we just read. And here's Jesus. He's, he, he's walking because they just had the Passover meal. They just had the last supper with his disciples. And he's walking across and over the Kidron uh, brook. And as he's walking over the brook, the, the brook is, is probably filled with some dirty, bloody water at that moment because they just had slain the, the lambs for the sacrifice for Passover. And Jesus is the only one knowing this at this moment that tomorrow his blood is going to flow through that same brook. And it's the night before uh, Jesus is to be hung on the cross and crucified for us. And And as he crosses the brook, he goes into the garden of Gethsemane 
and he leaves some of his disciples um, at the edge, and he goes a little bit further with three disciples. He goes with, with Peter, James, and John. And at the Last Supper, when they decided to leave, everybody kind of went their own way. Jesus is going to the garden. Judas makes his escape, and he goes in a different direction. We kind of know that story. But in this, in the garden, and, and I, I started to read this, you can only go so far with so many people. And I want you to understand, this is really not my message, but I want you to get this point, is that Jesus takes only three people to go further into the garden. What we try to do is we try to take everybody with us where, we're, where we think that we're supposed to go. You can't take everybody with you. There are people that you have to leave on the edge so that you can go further and go deeper into what God has for you. You can't take everybody with you. That's a word for somebody this morning. You can't please everybody. You can only go with just a select few. And here's the disciples and what ends up happening in this story. The, we, we know that Jesus, he starts to sweat drops of blood and he starts to pray and he asks his disciples, not once but twice, could you not pray with me one hour? The disciples fall asleep. Peter, James, and John, they fall asleep in this moment and they miss their opportunity to minister to their savior. They miss this moment to speak and to pray into Jesus's life. Don't miss your opportunity to serve those that are serving you. I want you to get that. Don't miss your opportunity to serve those that are serving you. And they missed this opportunity. And I had, a, I had a Garden of Gethsemane moment just a few weeks ago. I was in Israel a few weeks ago. And if you ever get the opportunity to go, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful place. And, and I, I had this Garden of Gethsemane moment. And living in Texas changed me a little bit. I, I'm not used to the cold weather. I know it's been a mild winter for you guys up here. And, uh, but for me, it's cold. So I got up here and I, I don't have a winter jacket no more, right? And I don't have gloves anymore. So I'm, I went to Terry Wild uh, yesterday morning and climbed the top of the mountain and was walking around and my hands were so frozen. I could barely move my hands. My wife's texting me and I can like barely like, like move my thumb to get, like I'm typing the wrong letters. My hands were so cold. Like, I don't know if I could ever live up north again. And, and uh, but so I, I kind of got used to some warm weather and we're, we're in Israel. I'm at the Garden of Gethsemane and it's pouring rain. And here I am where Jesus prayed in the garden, the same garden, maybe even the same olive trees. And, and it's pouring rain and it's cold. And all I could think was, I just want to get to a warm, dry place. Here I am on one of the, the most amazing trips of my lifetime. And all I could think was, I want to get out of here, right? And I had this Peter moment and Jesus speaks to me. He says, Chris, you're, you're being like Peter for just a moment. I said, oh man. God, I don't want to be like Peter, even though I like Peter, but I don't want to have a, a bad Peter moment. I want a good Peter moment. He's like, you're, 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 you're being like Peter right now. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, Chris, I'm about to do something amazing. And so he said, just push through. And so we started to pray. And all of a sudden we had this spontaneous worship moment in the garden of Gethsemane. And it was absolutely gorgeous. It was absolutely beautiful. And we just had this moment. It was, it was fantastic. And I'm, I get to go back in a few months to, to, to go do another uh, uh, tour of Israel. And I'm excited to go. And I'm not going to be like I was last time. So I'm going to make sure that I'm open to the Holy Spirit. But I can keep going about the, the garden. And we can talk about this experience that Peter and James and John had with Jesus. But I want to get to the arrest. And here's Judas. Judas has been with Jesus for three years. He knows where Jesus goes. He knows his favorite places. And, and Judas, he knows where, where Jesus likes to pray in the garden. And so he shows up 
and he gets paid 30 pieces of silver, a slave's wage, to go arrest Jesus. And they show up with all of these soldiers and these priests, and Jesus, or excuse me, Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. What an act of betrayal. And it says in verse three, it says, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Now, anybody seen the show Cops? Is it still on? Do they still show that? So the show Cops, you know, somebody did a bad thing and somebody's in the house and maybe, maybe somebody hit somebody or stabbed somebody, a bad thing, right? They did a bad thing. And these cops show up and they're filming the whole thing. And maybe there's like two cars, three cars. Maybe there's like six or eight guys that show up or girls show up to arrest this person. And that's not what we see in this story. So I started to break it down. It says a detachment of troops It doesn't say six guys showed up with Judas. A detachment of troops and officers from chief priests and Pharisees came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Why did they show up? And what is a detachment of soldiers? So in the Greek word, the Greek word for detachment is spiria, which means three to 600 soldiers. Three to 600 men show up in the middle of the night to arrest one man. That's cray-cray. That's, that's insane. Why do you need 600 people to arrest one man? Because they have a preconceived, prejudged understanding of the power of Jesus Christ. They don't know that Jesus is there to help them. They think Jesus is there to harm them. And so why do they have 600 men? Matthew and Luke's gospel also confirms that they showed up with torches and lanterns and clubs and stakes and staves and weapons. Why so many soldiers for one man? Why so many weapons for one man? Because they prejudged the power of Jesus. They prejudged his presence. They knew Jesus was powerful because maybe even some of these men were around Jesus when Jesus performed miracles. Maybe they were around when Jesus had turned water into wine. You see, when it benefits you, you're cool with Jesus' miracles, right? Man, he's turning water into wine. Man, I like this Jesus. He healed Jairus' daughter. Remember that story? And maybe some of these men were around when they saw that happen. So they see this guy who can raise the dead and heal the sick on the Sabbath day, which you're not allowed to do in the customs of, of Israel. And they see and know that Jesus has power, but they don't know what kind of power it is. And they're scared of this man that's got power. We have a preconceived idea of Jesus's power. But I wanna let you know the kind of power that Jesus has. Number one on your outline, with one word, God can push back all of your problems, your enemies and your addictions and have them tumble back to the ground as though they never existed. John chapter 18, verse four through six says, Jesus therefore knowing all things that would come upon him went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. But I know the power that Jesus has. And we think that, man, that's just crazy that they would, they would be so against Jesus that they would show up with all these stakes and staves and knives and weapons and lanterns and torches. And you don't show up 
in a garden thinking that I'm going to just arrest this man because if it was just that, they wouldn't have showed up with weapons. They came in case Jesus threw a fight. And, and, and we think because these are religious people that they would have known better, right? Well, I know Jesus. But we act the same way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees act. That would never be me. I would never go against what God wants to do in the world today. You remember a few weeks ago, I don't know if anybody saw these video clips, but there was the president of Brazil had given his life to the Lord and it was awesome and it was amazing. And he said, I, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And people started automatically, you know, the, the Christian religious people, well, he's just doing this so that he can gain favor with the religious people in his area. Hmm, I started to think about that. Why do we get so offended when somebody doesn't look and act the way that we act and they accept Jesus, right? Well, let's go back a few months later. Y'all remember Kanye? Kanye drops his album, Jesus is King, and the religious world is going crazy. Ah, he's just doing this to sell albums. He's just doing this so that he can make more money, all these crazy things. Oh, he's teamed up with Joe Osteen so that he can have more followers and all that kind of stuff. But homeboy's legit saved, And we get all offended and all mad and all upset about that. We would never be like the religious Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day. But yet we show up with our swords and our weapons and our lanterns so that we can scrutinize everything that God is trying to do. And we're just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I love Jesus is King. The album, I play it all the time. I drop it, me and my kids, we, we bumping down the road to Kanye all the time. The good Kanye, not the old Kanye, but the good Kanye. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. Chick-fil-A, y'all know what I'm talking about? If y'all don't know what I'm talking about, you need to download the album right now on Spotify. It's good. I'm telling you, it'll set you free. I mean, Fred Hammond's on it. Kenny G is on the album. That's like my kid's favorite song, the one with Kenny G. Y'all know that one? Anybody know that one? No? All right. Y'all just need to get saved. It's all right. Jesus set them free in Jesus' name. But I love how Jesus responds when they show up. He responds so differently than how we would respond, but he responds because he knows all things. Jesus he see, he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He has the power to look into your past and to see your mistakes. He has the power to save you, to seal you, secure you in your present. He has the power to take you into your future and into your promised land. You see, he was and is and is to come. He was there before, during, and after it had happened. He has been given all power and authority, and he knew exactly what was about to happen when before even those soldiers showed up. It says in John chapter 13, verse 18, it says, I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Later he goes on and he talks to Peter. Verse 38 in the same chapter, he says, I tell you the truth, Peter. 
before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You see, Jesus just doesn't predict the future. He holds the future in his hands. He sees it all. He sees all your problems, all the things you're facing, all your concerns, all of your worries. He sees the angry mob that has come out to harm you and to cause you pain. He's seen the betrayal that you're facing. He sees the divorce papers that have been delivered to your door. He sees your failures. He sees the report from a doctor when you've got a terminal illness. He sees the bank account. He sees everything. And not only does Jesus see the past, but Jesus always, he also sees your current situation and he sees your future. You see, he sees you as an overcomer. He sees you as the first and not the last. He sees you as righteous. He sees you with a new beginning. He sees you with a promotion. He sees you beyond your failures and your frailties of the past. And he looks into the promotions of your future, of your promised future. I didn't say your promotion, your promotions, because Jesus just doesn't take you to a place to leave you there. He takes you to a place so that you can go to the next place and the next place. You see, Jesus is always continually blessing you. Why? Because that's the kind of God we serve. God wants to take you to new levels, not just a new level. He wants you to go to higher heights. You see, it says that he goes from glory to glory to glory. God doesn't stop. He's not a God that has ceased. He's a God that keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going and going and going, baby. That's the kind of God that we serve. He sees it all. He sees your past. He sees your tomorrow. He sees your yesterdays. And he, what he does is he says, I've got something that is going to change your life. But this is how Jesus responds. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, verse 4, that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? I don't know if you caught that. He moved forward. What does that mean? Is that Jesus steps up. He steps up to the plate. He steps up and he says, listen, I am he, I am here and I'm about to speak. And when he does, they go falling down to the ground. Jesus kind of reminds me of myself. Because like Jesus steps up, I step up. I remember when I was in middle school, I had a shoulder bump moment. Anybody ever have a shoulder bump moment in middle school or high school with a guy or a girl? And like with guys, it's like you have a shoulder bump moment. It's like throw down, you drop your backpack. They're like ready to go. Come on, let's dance, baby. Come on. West Side Story moment. Come on, baby. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's go. Let's do this. Had a moment, had a moment in high school. I stepped up. My moment in high school, I had to step up because if I didn't, I would have been beaten big time. And I had another moment and, and I didn't even know the guy, but we had a shoulder bump moment. And, and like, this guy was bigger than me, stronger than me. He was just like, he was cool. And like, I, I was just like this, this soft freshman. And, and, um, and so I like, I hid in my teacher's class. Like, I, I was like, you ever see, like, like you ever just the scenario, like, I, I can't do this. And, and so I, I couldn't hide in a locker. I wasn't that small. And, like, I know you're thinking, man, Pastor, because you're looking good today. You know, you, you're looking handsome and sharp and, mm, praise the Lord. You know what's awesome about losing weight is that you can, like, like me and my son, like, I can wear, like, some of his shirts. It's, like, so cool. I'm like, yeah, boy. Mm, bring it. Anyways, 
I never shared clothes with anybody before because I've always, always been like a big chubby guy and like I was big boneded, you know? You make that excuse, I'm big boneded, you know? And, and uh, but come on, y'all just gotta get over it. Can I just tell you the truth? I didn't share this with all the rest of the, the other uh, services, but y'all 11 o'clock and I got time. So um, I found out in 2000, the beginning of 2019, I was kind of not feeling well, I'll just be real with you. And um, I found out that, my toes were tingling and my feet were tingling. My hands were hurting. And I went to the doctor. I knew I was overweight. And, um, and so I went and I kind of knew what was about to happen. I knew what he was going to tell me. He said, Chris, you're, you're diabetic. You're full-blown diabetic. And I'm like, oh man, that's not what I want to hear. And so I started to lose weight. And he, I don't have to take insulin, praise the Lord. Because most people, they don't want to talk about their health. They don't want to talk about their issues. But, but this is the kind of God we serve. If we're willing to step up like Jesus steps up and take ownership of the situation and the problem, God will come through with you. He will come through for you. Okay, so this is what happens. I go to my doctor. He gives me some medication. I'm on my medication. My A1C, for those of you that know anything about diabetes, it's your sugar level. My A1C was like 11 something, almost 12. It was real high. And, um, and so we got to get that down. And it started to drop. And so I went to my doctor about a month ago, and my A1C was almost 6. And he said, Chris, you keep doing what you're doing and we might take you off the medication. And I'm like, praise the Lord, this is awesome. So that's what started me trying to get healthy and eating right and all that kind of stuff because I got a two-year-old. I'm gonna be 59 when he graduates high school and I wanna be there when he graduates. Can I get a good amen? Praise the Lord. And I wanna ride roller coasters. Let's just be honest because roller coasters are, are kind of fun. But Jesus sees everything. He sees your past, present, and your future. Jesus steps up and he goes forward and he steps up to the situation. And he doesn't say, yo, bro, you want a piece of me to the soldiers, even though he very well could have. What he does is he steps up and he says, he says, listen, I'm stepping up because I want to protect you. I'm stepping up because you can count on me. He steps up. So he says that I'm for you and not against you. He steps up and says, I'm not afraid of the big, bad wolf. He steps up to confront your past. He steps up to confront your betrayer. He steps up to religion that tries to hold you down and contemn you. And he says, listen, I ain't afraid of you. No matter what you're going through, God is not afraid of your situation. He has already seen it. He has seen it from the beginning of time that you would have to face that. And God says, I'm going to step up in your situation. Reminds me of the story of Stephen. When Stephen is about to get stoned, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Not only does Jesus step up, but he stands up. You see, Jesus is ready to stand up on your behalf. He's ready to stand up to be your advocate, to be your judge, to be your jury. Jesus had asked this question, who is it that you're looking for? He already knew the answer. He already knows why they came. He already knows that they came for him. I mean, let's just be honest. They didn't come for Peter or James or John and there ain't nobody else in the garden. It's just them there in that moment, in the darkness. And why do they come at night? Because the freaks come out at night. Freeze come out at night. All the people like under 30, you have no idea what I'm, I'm saying, but that's okay. Pastor Richie said, much younger, brother. Praise the Lord. That's okay. You still look good for 70. No, I'm just kidding, man. I love, I love you. 
I love you, man. Praise God. I love joking on Pastor Richie because he's my brother. Amen? Amen. So here's the deal. Jesus, he, he knows everything that's about to happen. He just doesn't stand up or just doesn't step up, but he stands up. They came thinking because they have a preconceived idea. They have a preconceived a prejudice about Jesus. They came thinking that Jesus was there to harm them. He's got that much power that he could harm them. And yes, that's true because he's the son of God. He's God all by himself standing there and Jesus could have, but he didn't because that's not how Jesus operates. You see, they had an idea of the power of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you really don't know his power and his authority. They came thinking that he was there to take away their kingdom, but Jesus would let them reign for thousands and thousands of years. And he's still letting them reign because he hasn't come back yet. They thought that he was there to take away their freedom, but really what he was there for was to free them from their diseases and their sicknesses. They thought he was there to condemn them, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to change the temperature of their souls. Not only does Jesus stand up, not only does he step up, but Jesus speaks up. Look at verse five with me. Five and six, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Get that in your head for just a moment. He speaks, I am he, I am that I am. And he has a Benny Hinn, Catherine Cullen moment and they all fall to the ground. I mean, Jesus was doing it before anybody else did it. I mean, they just fell slain in the spirit, in the ground, had a Pentecostal holiness moment, just like, boom, you're out. Right there, he didn't have to lay hands on nobody. He speaks it and they fall to the ground. You see, Jesus stands up, he speaks up and he steps up and he says the word. He doesn't really say, I am he, signifying that I'm the one that you're looking for. What he actually says is the Greek word egoimi, which means something different. And in order for us to understand that word, let's go back into the Old Testament in Exodus chapter three, the exact same word. It says with me, if you're with me, uh, chapter three, verses four through eight. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face And he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of the taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now jump with me to verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. It go on me. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
this is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what you, excuse me, and I've seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the land flowing with milk and honey. You see, God says that my name will never change. I am that I am. And what does he say that he does? He says that I will bring you up out of affliction. You see, God always brings us out of affliction. He brings us out of the land of Egypt and brings us into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that is big and large. Why does God do that? Because God is the kind of God that wants to bless your socks off. God is the kind of God that wants to take you from here to there. He wants you to cross over the river. He wants you to cross through the Red Sea. Why? Because God is a promotion kind of God. God will never leave us nor forsake us. No wonder why Jesus said to the angry mob, I am he. He says, I'm about to bring you out. That's why John chapter eight, verse 58, Jesus says, most assuredly back in the New Testament, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Jesus' name has never changed. You see, he is the one from the beginning of time. He is the one who existed before time began and will exist after time ceases. He's the one who exists in every generation and everywhere all at the same time. The one who seeds and holds the future in his hands. He is the I am that I am. I am what I will do. I will do what I want to do. I will be what I want to be. I'll become whatsoever I've become. I am the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency. I am self-existent. I am immediately present. My existence is not contingent upon you or your circumstance or anybody else. My promise is that I will be what I will be. That is, I will be the eternal constant God. You see, he is the great I am. He's all sufficient. You see, my friends, he's ever present. He's completely sufficient all by himself to do what he wills and to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He stated that no matter when and where, I am here. I am here with you when you go into the city. I am here with you when you go into the field. I'm here with you when you go into the bank. I'm here with you at the funeral. I'm here, I'm everywhere, I'm now, I'm right now, I'm for you, I'm standing up for you, I'm standing in between and I'm stepping up and I'm speaking on your behalf, telling your enemy they gotta go down to the ground. No wonder why they fell to the ground. They just got a massive dose of anointing. I mean, man, I mean, boom, power just hit them square in the face. You see, when Jesus stands up, steps up, and speaks up, the opposition has nowhere to go but down. When Jesus stands up, when he steps up and he speaks up, the opposition has nowhere to go but down. Your mountain has nowhere to go but down. Your past has nowhere to go but down. Your betrayer has nowhere to go but down. Your addictions have nowhere to go but down. Your accuser has nowhere to go but down. With one word, God can push your problems back. 
Your enemy's back. Your addiction's back. Your mountain's back. What's that one word that you need to hear today? What's that one word from God that you desperately need to hear? God speak in your life. Is it forgiveness? Is it grace? Is it mercy? Is it freedom? Is it healing? Is it mother? Is it brother? Is it, is it sister? Is it victory? Is it husband? Is it faith? Is it deliverance? What's that one word that you desperately need to hear God speak to cause your enemies to fall down, your circumstances to go down to the ground, your problems to disappear? What is that one word that Jesus needs to speak to you today? Number four is this is that we, like Peter, try in our own strength to do what only God can do. Luke chapter 22, verse 49 through 50, same story, but different gospel from a different perspective. When those around him saw what was going on to happen, what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Well, we know that Peter was the one because in John it says that it was Peter that cut off the guy's ear. And I love this so much about Peter because he's a take action kind of guy, right? He's like bold immediate action, kind of like Jesus. Jesus says, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, you know? And Peter's like, boom, I got this. He's like, Jesus, I know you just stepped up, but I, but I got this, bam. I mean, he just cuts it right off. Like, like, all right, Jesus, all right, Peter, come on. And I love this about Peter because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm like, I'm just gonna do this and I'll pay the consequences later. Like, 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 well, never mind. Like, okay, just not that I intentionally say stupid things, but sometimes stupid things come out of my mouth and all the men would agree with me. Like you say things to your kids or to your wife and you're like, I should not have said that. That's the kind of guy Peter is. He just like goes with it, right? Goes with the flow. But then you got the other disciples. The other disciples, they're kind of like, you know what, I, I want to rationalize this situation. Uh, they ask the question, you know, Lord, shall we, shall we take our swords out? You know, and they, they, they're like, you know, we want to, we want to figure this whole thing out. You know, let's get some demographics about this situation and let's, let's kind of pull the audience, you know, hey guys, you want us to fight against you? And, and they like get chairs and tea and crumpets and they want to talk about the whole situation, right? Jesus, should we take out our swords? Peter's like, oh, what's wrong with y'all? Bam. I love that about Peter. Just goes for it, right? Y'all ever been in that, that situation like you had, to, you had to think something through? This blows my mind. I, I've, asked this, I've asked every service this. But have you heard about that thing like the internal monologue with people? Anybody ever have internal monologue with yourself? Like you, you try to think the story. Anybody talk to yourself? Thank you. Okay, y'all are crazy like me. Now, all of you who didn't raise your hand, you don't talk to yourselves? None of you talk to you. Does anybody not talk to yourself? Just raise your hand. Nobody not talks to yourself. I think there's one person over there. You don't talk to yourself. One person over here. You don't talk. Like, I'm so crazy. I'll have conversations with myself inside my brain and like pretend like I'm sitting there to the right side of my guy. Like there's me and in my passenger seat, there's my twin. And I'll have that. Anybody? Thank you. Let's just go to the doctor together and we'll just get all fixed up, Okay. But there's this thing where people have internal monologue and dialogue with themselves. And then there's some people who don't have that. And I don't understand that because my, my wife is a little bit different than I am. And I'm like, you, you, don't, you don't do that? She's like, no. I'm like, well, how do you rationalize? How do you, like, okay, have you ever been in a situation? You, you having like, you're having some, some yogurt and you got a cup of yogurt or maybe you like some applesauce and like you go to pull out the drawer and there's no spoon. And you're like, fork or spoon, fork or spoon, fork or spoon. I think I can do this with a fork. 
right? Anybody ever been there? I think I can do this. I won't get everything. And then you kind of like, nah, you know what? I really need a spoon. You go to the dishwasher, you wash the spoon off and you go, you go get the spoon, right? Anybody? Okay. Anybody with me? Okay, good, good. All the time. Did you just say all the time? Okay, right there. And so, so it happens. And so they're having this internal monologue and dialogue and I'm thinking through this situation and I'm wondering what Peter's going through at this moment because just before Peter steps up to cut the guy's ear off, a few chapters earlier, few, maybe a few hours earlier, Jesus has asked the question, he says, whom do men say that I am? And some say John the Baptist, some say prophet Elijah, and they, they, they start saying, well, this is what people are saying. And then he says, whom do you say that I am? And Peter is the only one who responds, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. He's the only one with the revelatory knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says to Peter, Simon, because his name is Simon, Jesus only calls him Peter like one time. He says, Simon, you are a Petros. And upon the Petra, I will build my church. What's he saying? He's saying that Peter, you are Simon, you are a Petros, a piece of the rock, a piece of the revelation that I'm about to build my church on, which is the revelation that you have that I am the Messiah. So this is all going through Peter's head at this moment. And Jesus had also had this conversation with him that you're gonna deny me. So Peter's kind of like, he's stepping out. He's like, no, this can't happen. This can't be real. I'm not gonna deny Jesus. He called me the rock and, and I'm gonna stand up for righteousness and I'm gonna stand up for my savior. And he cuts the guy's ear off. And if I was Jesus which I'm not, and thank God I'm not. If someone showed up in my garden, like I'm planting flowers, I'm trying to get some cucumbers and tomatoes going, and like 600 people show up, like with steaks, staves, and knives, and weapons, and lancers, and all that kind of stuff, I'd be like, come on, bro, it's all. Let's do this thing. I'm about to create the greatest YouTube video that you had ever seen. I'm about to get a million likes because I'm about to whoop all y'all. Y'all thought Samson could kill uh, a thousand people with a jawbone of an ass. Listen, I'm about to use my bare hand. Bam! You know, I mean, like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, boom, let's go for it. But that's not what Jesus does. See, Jesus is not like you and me. And he goes against the logic of humanity. Number five is this. In the midst of our mess-ups, Jesus still has grace, healing, and acceptance, and forgiveness. I want to ask the worship team to come back up, and here they come. We're going to get ready to close. Luke chapter 22, verse 51. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed them, healed him. Jesus goes against our logic because if somebody's going to come against us, we're going to come against them. But we've been taught by the Lord to turn the other cheek but do we really operate that way? Even when we don't turn the other cheek, even when we've messed up. You see, they came with swords and clubs and torches and lanterns and stakes and staves. They had intention. The intention was to harm him if need be. They prejudged and preconceived the power of Jesus. Who is this man that was mentioned one time in the gospel of John named Malchus? See, Malchus was a servant or a slave of the high priest. Malchus has seen religion at its very best and at its worst. He's seen evil, the evil schemes of wicked men. He's been hurt knowing that religion fails. He's probably come to the realization that he's messed up. He's probably realized and 
figured out that he chose the wrong side. But out of his religious duty and obligation, he steps up to Jesus. Peter cuts off his ear. And Jesus, in that moment, he bends down into that dusty ground and he picks up the guy's ear. He places it back on his head with a gentle touch. It says in John that he healed his ear. You see, I believe that Jesus, as he places the ear back on his head, he leans over and he whispers into Malchus's ear and he says this, Malchus, since the beginning of time, since creation, all I've ever wanted to do is love you. All I've ever wanted to do is help you. All I've ever wanted to do is heal you. And it's my mission from now to eternity to give you hope, to give you a future, to give you a promise, to prosper you, and not to harm you. I can only imagine as Jesus stepped backwards what was going through Malchus's mind at that moment. I can only imagine the feeling that he had as he saw Jesus stand up, as he saw Jesus speak one word and as he saw Jesus heal with one touch. You see, Jesus will stand up. He'll speak up. Jesus will step up. You see that word in the Greek healed is the Greek word laomi, which means to cure. It means to heal. It means to free from errors and to set free from sins and to bring about one's salvation. The Bible says whom the son sets free is free indeed. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set free the captive, to break off their chains. I love what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says that I wish you would know him and the power of his resurrection. See, maybe you're like the Pharisees. Maybe you're like the soldiers here this morning. You come to church, you know of Jesus. You know that he's got great power, but he's there to hold me back. He's there to to cause me pain. He's there to hurt me. I can't do what I want to do. You see, he's not there to hurt you. He's there to heal you. He's there to save you and to set you free. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to cause you pain. Maybe you're here with sickness in your body. Maybe you've got a broken marriage. Jesus is here to set you free. Jesus is here to heal you. With one word, Jesus can push back all your problems, all your concerns, all your enemies. And with one touch, he can heal you from whatever it is that you need healing from. 